Remember when Al Gore told us he took illegal campaign contributions from China and admitted he knew they were illegal, but that there was no enforcing authority, so he did it anyway? When the law is ignored because there is no force to stand in the way, you're not living in a republic. You're living in exactly the same country the fathers of this country escaped from. It's time to push back. And that starts with the truth. TNN. The Truth News Network. And Dan Newman. Man, I don't know about that. Al Gore thing? Man, that disappoints me. I have uh, known and trusted Al Gore for decades. I mean, he uh, he's the one that came up with the term climate change. And you know where that came from and why? It came from the fact that the, uh, the climate group had missed for three decades regarding the end of the world, environmental calamity, and all those kind of things. It was first, I think it was in the late 80s, they started talking about an ice age. We're headed for another ice age. And then when nothing happened, they decided it was going to be global warming. And they told us by the turn of the century, we were going to all be toast. I mean, temperatures were going to rise over 150 around the world. Water was going to boil, all of those kind of things. And then when that didn't happen, Gore came up and he was the savior of all of those climate freaks because he came up with a term that they could use for everything that had to do with Mother Nature, climate change. When it gets hot, oh, it's because of climate change. When it gets cold, oh, it's because of climate change. When we have hurricanes and tornadoes, oh, it's because of climate change. I'm not going off on a rant. I'm just explaining. This is a guy that cheated when he took contributions from China. And he just thumbed his nose at everybody else because he didn't get in trouble for doing it. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live. I really appreciate you being here. How's your day going? Well, you're probably saying, Dan, it's only 9 o'clock Central, 7 o'clock on the West Coast. It, you know, it's just getting started. Nothing happened. Let me tell you about my day so far. And I'll explain on the back end of this why I'm telling you this. I, uh, I'm part of a group, a prayer meeting for our church, 6 a.m. Shreveport time, Monday through Friday. And I'm about 15 minutes away from uh, the church. We do it live on Facebook Live. Um, And so this morning, I decided it was really, really cool when I opened the garage door. I said, I'm going to ride my Harley. So I jumped on my Harley, and I pulled in at my favorite place to get a cup of coffee on my road to get there. When I got back on my bike, bam, nothing. No electricity, nothing. Uh, No lights would come on, nothing. So I frantically called Marianne, who was still asleep, and she jumped in her car and ran and picked me up and took me over for prayer. She stayed there for the 30 minutes of the prayer thing, and we come home. On the way home, she runs over a nail, and we just barely made it to our driveway before it went bam. It was toast. So here we go. I've got a show at 9 o'clock. Normally, I'm the guy. I would take the car or call the the uh, repair people, roadside assistants, and get them to handle that. I couldn't do any of that. I had to do the last minute's preparations 
for the show, so I made the phone call for her, and she took care of the rest. The guy came, changed her tire. She's on the way to our our uh, a tire company to get a new tire, and everything's going to be okay. Oh, but wait a minute. My Harley's at Circle K. It's parked out front in their parking spots. And my motorcycle guy is on his way back to Shreveport from Little Rock, and he won't be able to come get it until after lunch. And I told the uh, uh, the people at the uh, at the place where it is, Circle K, it'd be a couple hours. And I can't call them or run up there because I'm on the air with you. Just when you think everything's okay, maybe for the moment, but always in life, there's something just around the corner that's going to just jump out in front of you and say, gotcha. We all have those. And don't even act like you're exempt from that. If you tell me that, I'm going to tell you you're a, uh, you're a liar. There we go. We have a lot of news, a lot of news. We're going to get into a bunch of it today. Don't forget today at the top of the second hour, Steve Baker joins us for DNS. We talk one 15-minute period every Tuesday, 10 o'clock Central Time. We bring to you our thoughts on one specific, very, very um, significant happening in the world of politics. Steve Baker, if you don't know him, he's in a, a very con, in, in contact with a lot of people that we don't have access to in government, and he's an investigative reporter. Steve's going to be here at 10 o'clock this morning, so we'll get to it our first hour. And sad news, the body of billionaire heiress Eliza Fletcher, only 34 years old, is found seven miles from where she was dragged to an SUV at 4.30 in the morning while out jogging. And the suspect was picked up, arrested. He's due in court today. Multiple police sources have confirmed that body being found. Most American media outlets aren't reporting on it yet. This is the Daily Mail from over in the UK, one of our sources that we use a lot. So anyway, heartbroken neighbors have described their horror after the body was found ahead of her suspected killer's Cleotha Abstent court appearance in Memphis today. Abstent is 38 years old. He's been charged with kidnapping and tampering with evidence in relationship to her disappearance, but he's not yet been charged with murder. She was what's called an ultra runner. She ran every morning and ran very early every morning, and everybody knew in the area knew that she ran at 4.30 in the morning. She vanished on Friday, last Friday. Uh, She was out for a jog about 4.30, sparking a four-day-long hunt, which led officers to a couple of different wooded areas around Memphis, The area where the body was found is just 100 yards from the Longview Gardens apartment complex where Abstin's brother Mario lives. A van believed to belong to the medical examiner's unit left the scene six hours after the remains were found and is thought to have been transporting her body. Photos from the scene showed a police helicopter circling above the search. Horrified neighbors gathered around the crime scene as the gruesome discovery what's made. It's emotional. It really hurts. That's April Jackson, 30-year-old, at 7.30 
with the body yet to be removed. That could have been anybody out jogging that morning, a student, anybody. And he was just released two years ago for another abduction. And he gets out and he does it again. This is just another one of those cases for rehabilitation, trying to rehabilitation some criminals. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I think, in fact, it should be this way because in life, it is this way in every case. When we do something, there's an effect that comes from our choices that we make. And therefore, we are always going to be, or in some way or fashion, we're going to be held accountable for the things that we do. He did it before, kidnapping, and he was let out of jail. Why would anybody be shocked when he does it again? I don't have the answers, folks. I'm not in law enforcement, not at all. But this is a horror thing that uh, this young, 34 years old, her family is going to have to deal with for the rest of their lives. I mean, in an instant, bam, her life is snuffed out. Well, did you keep up with all of the shootings that have occurred across the country over the Labor Day weekend? Labor Day weekend didn't end officially until 12 midnight last night. Let me give you the numbers. This will blow your mind. 11 mass shootings have occurred across mostly Democrat-run cities nationwide during the weekend. And those 11 mass shootings resulted in the deaths of 15 people. Now, we're talking about the government's definition of mass shooting. Mass shootings occurred in cities including St. Paul, Minnesota, Charleston, South Carolina, Chicago, Philadelphia, and Cleveland, killing at least 15. The weekend's deadliest shooting so far occurred in St. Paul, represented by Democrat Mayor Melvin Carter III, where three people died, two others were injured on the 5th, that was yesterday, in the city's Payne Phelan neighborhood, according to The Hill. The Gun Violence Archive defines mass shootings as incidents in which four or more people were shot or killed, excluding the shooter. The archive identified another mass shooting that killed two people and injured three in Philly yesterday, where President Biden gave that speech, lambasting former President Trump's supporters as a threat to democracy a few days earlier. At least nine people were killed, an additional 19 were injured by gunfire in Philly during the weekend. Two men, one 18, another 20, were killed out of four people shot outside a residence in Chicago. This makes up 46 people shot, seven wounded during the weekend overall in Mayor Lori Lightfoot's town, Chicago. And remember this, Chicago is one of the strictest cities on guns in the nation. Meanwhile, Illinois was the first state to eliminate cash bail in 2021. Democrat Mayor John Tecklenburg of Charleston blamed illegal guns and repeat offenders for a shooting of 13-year-old on September 4th, another shooting a few hours later, injuring five in downtown Charleston. But the hard truth is this. In South Carolina, only the state legislature has the authority to reform our laws with regard to illegal guns and repeat violent offenders. As a city, 
were literally prohibited from taking action in either area. So, just giving you a heads up. And what does this all mean? Let me tell you what it means. It means we craft laws. Well, we don't. You and I don't, unless you sit on a legislative seat of some sort. But we craft laws. And we intend, when we craft those laws, we intend for those laws to be enforced and offenders to be held accountable based on the contents of penalties in the laws that our legislative bodies pass. And then just because mostly Democrats, far leftists, even further left in many cases than the mainstream Democrats in the Democrat Party, it doesn't matter who it is. They are finding ways and coming up with the stupidest authorization for law enforcement to not enforce the laws. This is, this is getting to a point, a boiling point, where we're going to explode. This nation is coming apart at the seams. And there's no way to keep it together unless there is accountability for every criminal And I'm going to define a criminal as anybody that breaks a law. If you break a law, you're a criminal for breaking a law. You and anyone that chooses to or breaks the laws for whatever reason or reasons must be held accountable for what they're doing. Dan, do you mean speeding? Why, yes. Do you know that most serious accidents that happen on the roads in America today happen because somebody was speeding? I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I told you 10 days ago, I got stopped for speeding. It was early, early in the morning. Sun wasn't even up. Hardly anybody on the road, but still, I was speeding. There's no little asterisk at the end of the speed limit number that says, Oh, if it's early in the morning, you can do 10, 15 miles per hour over the limit. We'll accept that. Doesn't doesn't happen. And I got pulled over. Didn't get a ticket. I got a warning because he looked me up and I had no record. Nevertheless, my point is, why even make laws if we don't enforce laws? What the heck is it good for? so that a criminal, especially a repeat offender, can say, aha, beat the system again. We don't have a nation if we don't have laws. And I'll take it one step further. We really don't have a nation if we don't enforce the laws that we have. That's just the way it is. And if you argue with that, go argue with somebody else. You're not going to get in an argument with me. If you believe that, your beliefs, they're etched in stone. And the penalties are also etched in stone. It's called the rule of law. That's what this whole thing is about. All of this criminality that happens almost every weekend, beginning at Friday before the sun goes down all the way through early morning, Monday morning, in these big cities. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. And what's happening in these big cities? Nobody that runs the cities, nobody in government that can make a difference, they're not even trying to make a difference. 
All they're trying to do and what they are pretty effective at doing is finding people to blame for the criminality. And it's never blaming anybody that is not enforcing laws. In fact, it's the other way around. George Soros, without any apologies, has spent tens of millions of dollars on district, state, and local law enforcement elections to get people elected in these positions in law enforcement that want to go soft on the enforcement of law. And we've got some in some major cities that it is very obvious these are the people that are in power there. There was a election withdrawal, removal of a district attorney in San Francisco who was one of those Soros-backed district attorneys. There are more of them around that are getting a bunch of flack. The American people have begun to wake up and have begun to make some noise about it. And if we, the people, don't do that, I can tell you this, lawlessness is going to continue to roar. Criminality is going to continue to roar. I'll give you an example. In another area, and not, I'm not talking about gun crimes or anything here. I'm talking about what's going on up in Michigan. This thing, it just blows my mind. It was found, and we reported on this, uh, I guess a week or 10 days ago, uh, 25,000 dead people voted in Michigan in the 2020 election, 25,000. And so a not-for-profit started checking and researching the voter rolls in Michigan and found these and reached out to get the Secretary of State, Joycelyn Benson, to purge those 25,000 deceased voters from her state's rolls. And she said, nope, not going to do it. She wanted to leave it on. So, there was a suit filed against her. (laughs) After the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Michigan last week denied a guy named Benson who filed the suit, Benson's bid, I'm sorry, this is the Secretary of State, the judge denied the Secretary of State's bid to dismiss that legal nonprofit suit against her, Adams, the head of this leader, decried the George Soros-backed election officials' unwillingness to update her wrote, her roles despite documentation of the dead voters. Yeah, 25,000 dead registrants on the active rolls in Michigan. Like 4,000 of them had been dead for 20 years. And this guy is a former Department of Justice voting rights attorney, so he kind of knows what he's doing. We had pictures of their gravestones in the complaint that we filed. And we sent the Secretary of State, Jocelyn Benson, notice about these dead people before the 2020 election. She didn't do anything. We finally sued. Still, she still hasn't done anything. Tried to get the case dismissed saying we aren't allowed to sue because we don't have lack of standing. And she lost. So the case is going to go forward. Every state that's faced these kind of lawsuits eventually settles. Let's see if she does. He explained how blue states have sought to evade the responsibility for maintaining voter rolls, opening the door to mistakes and mischief. 
Here's what Adams said. Blue states in many cases like New Mexico, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Maine, I could go down the list, are run by sort of ideological state election officials who were opposed to list maintenance, he said. It was part of Democrats' voting overhaul bill, H.R. 1, if you remember a year ago, that they were going to ban all this maintenance as a matter of federal law. That failed, of course, and they're against voter list maintenance. They would rather have polluted voter rolls than mistakenly remove somebody who should not be removed. They'll tell you that's what they think. The problem is, when you have a system that's now so heavily vote by mail, when you have all of these automatic things going to homes, polluted voter rolls is step one to problems. And that's what happened in Nevada. That's what happened in Michigan, Pennsylvania. Judith Presto, remember the name Judith Presto? She got registered to vote, voted by mail, and she was dead. She got her registration (laughs) while she was dead, and she voted while she was dead. Adams was asked his opinion of the Biden Department of Justice under the controversial leadership of Attorney General Merrick Garland. Adams said, well, I guess I lived in the coal mine, and I was the canary back in 2010 with the new Black Panther case. This is Adams speaking again after stepping down from the DOJ, accused the Department of Racial Bias for dropping a voter intimidation case against the new Black Panther case, the party. And I saw unequal enforcement of law close up over a decade ago. And the Civil Rights Division is always the first place where crazy starts. And now what's happening throughout the entire department? Why aren't they involved in our Michigan case? I thought they believed in enforcement of federal National Voting Rights Act law. They're not, of course. They'll probably take the side of Michigan if they did. The point is that DOJ has always been problematic in the Civil Rights Division. Now, it's across every division. Wow, 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 wow. Speaking of judges, just making sure you heard about this, federal judge yesterday granted President Trump's request to appoint that independent special master to review materials the FBI seized from his Mar-a-Lago residence last month. District Judge Eileen Cannon, a Trump appointee, dismissed objections from the DOJ blocking prosecutors from further reviewing are using the seized documents in their investigation until that special master completes their review. Cannon asked the DOJ and Trump's attorney to submit a joint filing by Friday that includes a proposed special master candidate list. And let me tell you what, what, what really is going on, and they're not talking about this much. Let me tell you what happened. When those FBI people raided Mar-a-Lago, They went against the normal process for doing such raids, serious such raids, and they're always run by the book for a lot of different reasons. What happens is when this raid begins, they don't just flood in there with a bunch of FBI agents and start grabbing documents normally. The process has people going in first to begin to look at the documents and sorting the documents between the ones that are documents of privilege. In other words, documents that have nothing to do with the complaint that's filed and 
got the warrant issued. They're not covered by the warrant, so they're privileged. So they're put to the side because the government has no legal right to have those documents. That didn't happen in Morlago. The other thing that normally happens in such a case is somebody that is either the actual person that's a subject of this inquiry or someone that works with them or for them is contacted and goes along with the FBI agents making sure that everything they're doing is legal and it's covered under the warrant, that they're not just going through and grabbing everything and sticking it in boxes, which is exactly what they did. So let me just let me just be a, a little fly on the wall and tell you what my opinion is. This is going to be a big deal. It really is. It's going to be as big as the Russia collusion story. And they're going to make this thing last all the way up until and maybe through the 2024 election. They want to keep negative things in the air in the news world every day about Donald Trump. They are petrified to think that Donald Trump could possibly be reelected. They think all of the, you think that what Joe Biden said about Trump supporters, you think that just came out of nowhere? And that Biden just picked it out of the air and threw it out there? That was researched. What he said in that speech was researched by Democrat hand-picked people that are putting together the speeches for Joe Biden. He reads everything off a teleprompter. Well, not everything. He gets off the teleprompter himself quite a bit to everybody in the Democrat Party's chagrin. But nevertheless, he does it. But they are giving him, they are feeding him everything that he says. It's coming from somebody else. And so... This is all part of a process and just somewhere in the middle of the process. We're going we're gonna to publish an article tomorrow and it's coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic. The, the story tomorrow is going to blow your mind. It will actually blow your mind. I hope you're reading our story today at truthnewsnet.org. If you have not, you need to do so. Kelly Nelson one of my favorite people, one of our contributing authors here that writes some great stories. She penned a story today, and uh, it's very controversial. I'll just be completely honest with you. And this story that we're going to publish tomorrow, actually what I was going to do, I was going to pen an editorial response to what she wrote today. And then this article came out about this doctor, and I thought his, in this story, his story explains exactly what I think pushed Kelly Nelson to write the story that she wrote today. There's so much going on up there. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a circus in D.C. And um, it just gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. I don't see an end in sight, to be quite honest with you. I really don't. But let me ask you this. What do you think is going to happen in the midterm elections? And let's just suppose for a second Donald Trump does get the green light and uh, he is going to represent the Republican Party 
in the 2024 election. What do you think is going to happen? Have you thought it through? Well, let me tell you what the Republicans are saying. With Republicans being bullish about chances of getting the House back after November's midterms, some GOP lawmakers are already eyeing ways to make inroads on one issue they say is a priority, impeaching Joe Biden. Already, at least eight impeachment articles against Biden have been introduced to Congress since he took office, accusing him of high crimes and misdemeanors over what the lawmakers described as the disastrous Afghanistan withdrawal, the southern border crisis, the moratorium barring eviction of renters who struggle with payment for pandemic reasons, and the foreign business dealings of the president's son, Hunter Biden. These resolutions, which are largely symbolic at this point, they have no chance of getting through the House under a narrow Democrat majority. Speaker Nancy Pelosi, she wouldn't even bring it up, wouldn't allow it come to the floor for discussion. But expectations that the GOP will flip the House have led some lawmakers to see an opening to push the matter further. I have consistently said that President Biden should be impeached for intentionally opening our border and making Americans less safe. That's Representative Bob Good of Virginia, who has endorsed three of the impeachment resolutions targeting Biden. Congress has a duty to hold the president accountable for this and any other failures of this constitutional responsibilities, so a new Republican majority must be prepared to aggressively conduct oversight on day one. Several of the lawmakers shared similar thinking. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, who is a vocal Biden critic, who led four impeachment resolutions, posted an image of Biden on Twitter following the president's primetime speech on the first of the month, where he accused former President Trump and his supporters of extremism. Joe Biden just declared all of us enemies of the state. Biden is a danger to us all, she wrote, adding that Joe Biden must be impeached. Impeachment articles need only a majority vote to pass the House. But to oust the president would require a two-thirds majority vote after a trial is held in the Senate, which has never happened in American history. Never has it happened. Wow. Polls indicate the impeachment drive has a certain level of support among Republican voters. In a Harvard Caps Harris poll across 2,000 registered voters, 67% of the respondents said it would be an impeachable offense if the president played a part in his son's overseas business ventures. And I'm one of those that will tell you right now, I'll be shocked if Joe wasn't involved in Hunter's stuff. Don't forget the top of the next hour. Steve Baker will join us for our Tuesday segment, DNS, not BS, not BS, it's DS, Dan and Steve. That's coming up at the top of the hour at 10 o'clock sharp. We got more to get to before that. After this break, you're going to hear from somebody that I think it'll shock you that I'm having on the show. Former Barack Obama Attorney General Eric 
Holder. Oh, my gosh. What does Holder have to say? Sit tight. He's up next. I'm Chad Hall, and I'm here with the first ever Silverado ZR2. This is probably the first time you've seen this truck, but I've been racing a prototype version for over a year. We just inspired this pre-production truck you see behind me. Let's go see what it'll do. Copy. It's got phenomenal power, acceleration, good ground clearance, skid protection, and you've got the Multimatic GSSV shocks, so it's just going to be that much more of a fun truck. You want to go a little faster? Go for it. Copy. It's an amazing truck. You're going to want to get your hands on one. Nervous? Yeah. Oh, Blaze. Brings back so many good memories. Remember our road trip in 97? Our first real heart-to-heart. -heart. I've never seen any of your movies! Not even the ones we're in together! Hey, do you remember when that stalker kidnapped us? Yes! Blaze was there. Blaze. Do you have a barbecue? Or a cheddar jalapeno? Ooh. Oh, remember when we stumbled into that turf war? Ah! Remember when you bought your first house? Ah! Hey, I'm Those were good times. They were golden. You ready? Seth, do you? I do. And Janet, do you? That's a yes. The truth as only he can tell it. Dan Newman, TNN, truthnewsnet.org. The truth as only I can tell it. I mean, it's, it's in a vacuum. Truth is truth, and it's pure, and we just have to find it and stop trying to turn it around. I mean, this thing that it, it just seems like almost every day, we hear another example of those on the left turning the truth around and acting like we're stupid if we don't believe the new way. Hopefully we have enough time in the show today, but Corrine Jean-Pierre, White House Press Secretary, she is, I guess, the messenger for doing just that. They're trying to turn around so many things that happened during the Biden administration that have been bad and either diminishing the wrongdoing that happened, that it took for those things to occur, and they bear no responsibility in the Biden administration, either that or they want to change the whole narrative. They don't even want to talk about the factual perspectives. They'll just say, oh, no, it didn't happen that way, when we know that it did. There was somebody in the Obama administration that operated under that assumption and line of thinking, and that was Attorney General Eric Holder, Barack Obama's first, and he was a lawless attorney general. He was the beginning, the very first propagator of ignoring specific laws. In fact, he cut a deal with his boss, Barack Obama, and they came up with doing away with the enforcement of drug use and drug possession regardless of the laws at the federal level that Congress had passed, 
and Barack Obama had signed into law, by the way, unless it was in amounts that were above a really, really high level, Barack Obama instructed his Attorney General, Eric Holder, to stop enforcement of those. But I want you to hear this uh, particular conversation. It's, uh, it's about Donald Trump and what Eric Holder had to say about what's going on in the January 6th committee and that grand jury investigation of the former president. And as Republicans position more election deniers for office, CNN has learned the former president's attorneys have warned him his effort to overturn the 2020 election could bring indictments. Former Attorney General Eric Holder believes it will happen and will probably include Trump. My guess is that by the end of this process, um, you're going to see indictments involving high-level people in the White House. You're going to see indictments against people outside the White House who were advising them with regard to the attempt to steal the election. And I think ultimately you're probably going to see the president, former president of the United States, indicted as well. Well, that prediction comes as CNN has learned that for the first time, Trump's legal team is in direct talks with the Department of Justice about executive privilege. More signs investigators are focusing on Trump's actions on January 6th and the lead up to it. With me to share their reporting and their insights, CNN's Manu Raju, Jackie Kucinich of The Daily Beast, Laura Barone-Lopez of the PBS NewsHour, and CNN legal analyst Carrie Cordero. Uh, let me start with you, Counselor. If the former president's lawyers are in direct communication with senior attorneys at the Justice Department, that tells you what? It tells me that they are looking for information. They, by going in and engaging in a dialogue with the Justice Department, they're there, I think, in part, to be able to, by asking questions, find out as much as they possibly can about the scope of the investigation, about whether uh, former Chief of Staff Mark Meadows is going to be uh, charged, about how close the investigation is coming to the former president. So while they can engage in conversation about executive privilege and attorney-client privilege as it relates to the former president, I think the most they have to gain through these meetings is what they can glean from them. Uh, it's a fascinating moment, the timing, because we know, and we can put up on the screen, we know the federal grand jury looking into this, uh, you know, the fake electors plot, should we seize voting machines? It's not just about the violence at the Capitol on January 6th, it includes a who's who of the Trump administration and the president's outside circle, people who fought the plan and people who were involved in the plan, uh, two top aides to Mike Pence, the White House counsel and his deputy in the middle of your screen there, to the right of your screen, people who are trying to help Trump, at both inside the Justice Department and his attorney, John Eastman. Uh, you look at that group. If you were Donald Trump's lawyers, to Kerry's point, you'd want to know, uh, what are they saying? Uh, well, right, and that's one of the reasons they're trying to determine what is executive, what, what falls under executive privilege. But I think, you know, one of the things in the report that really got me was the fact that Trump still has skepticism that he's going to be indicted. He's not convinced. And you know, there, there isn't any indication you know, one way or the other. But I think that speaks to how he really hasn't been held accountable for many things in his life, both inside and outside of office. So why should this be any different? Um, it seems to be kind of where, where his head is. Uh, and, and this a statement from uh, a spokesman for the former president, the spokesman would not put a name on the statement, which to me is odd. I'll just leave it at that. But how can any future president ever have private conversations with his attorneys, counsels, and other senior advisors if any such advisor is forced either during or after the presidency in front of a, they take a shot at the select committee. It's a select committee up in Congress. Thank you very much. Or other entity enforced to reveal those privileged confidential discussions. Uh, it's a political statement as much as a legal statement. They go attacking the Congress there. 
Yeah, and it's also because ultimately what the DOJ is trying to determine is whether or not the president committed any crimes, whether it was defrauding uh, the U.S. and the electoral system, whether it was objecting to, uh, you know, obstructing, excuse me, a congressional proceeding. And so ultimately, um, yes, the, the president has executive privilege and can have private conversations with his lawyers, but if a law was broken, then that's a different story. The conversation about this is so different than it was a couple of weeks ago, where we didn't know as much about what the grand jury was doing, number one. We didn't know that Mike Pence's attorney and his chief of staff had been in. We didn't know that they were trying to get Pat Cipollone and his deputy, Mr. Philbin, into the grand jury. Uh, so now people are saying, wow, okay, the Justice Department is actually doing some serious business. Among those saying, wow, is Liz Cheney, of course, the top Republican on the committee in Congress. Uh, there have been some criticism on Capitol Hill saying, why isn't the Justice Department doing more? Now she says, maybe I should trust this. We're going to continue to follow the facts. I think the Department of Justice will do that. But they have to make decisions about prosecution, understanding um, what it means if the facts and the evidence are there and they decide not to prosecute. Um, how do we then call ourselves a nation of laws? The, the last part there in that interview with our Casey Hunt is trying to essentially, you know, Tell the Justice Department, you know, man up, be brave. Don't don't back off at the last second because he's a former president. Yeah, and what's been interesting too here is the Justice Department has been more public about what what's happening. Well, of course, we don't know everything that's going on, and they won't confirm the nature of the investigation. Merrick Garland, you know, giving that interview just a couple of weeks ago, talking about how no one is above the law, signaling that things are moving here at a different pace than a lot of people had expected. And the players who have testified before the grand jury are also significant. Some of those folks, including the people who are close to the former vice president, Mike Pence, testified, of course, in the, the select, select committee showing Donald Trump's concerted effort to overturn the election. How much of that is a focus of the of the investigation, too, is, is, is a question here. And also the committee, too, is indicating as well, is providing this information to the Justice Department. So whether they're pursuing similar lines here, Donald Trump's role, it appears that they might be. Is there a clear line on this privilege question, and does it impact privilege issues at all if you bring it to a judge that many of these same people did testify to the January 6th committee? Is that, is that complicated, clean it up? I think the privilege issues, first of all, the privilege, executive privilege really belongs to the current president. There's arguments that a former oh. president can assert it, but uh, President Biden has really made clear that as to January 6th matters, um, he is not claiming executive privilege, and he's the sitting executive. Um, the second thing is that crimes, as Laura just said earlier, Crimes are not of a allowed to be overcome by the executive privilege. So uh, if there is evidence of a crime, then that is going to trump claims of executive privilege or attorney-client privilege. Well played, pun intended. Thank you very much. Did you get the gist of everything you just heard? Those people were having discussions about things that they said were facts. The DOJ is doing this, and here's the reason they're doing it, and they're finding this out, and they're going to do this. They're getting grand jury information, which is highly illegal. Grand juries, nobody's on the outside is supposed to have any kind of contact or interaction with those grand jurors any time during an investigation. And if the grand jurors release and uh, talk to anybody about details going on in there, and they're found out, they'll be kicked out and sometimes prosecuted themselves. Yes, I know this is a Washington, D.C. grand jury, and that means Donald Trump or any conservative 
is not going to get the benefit of the doubt in any kind of issue at all. I get all of that. But they were talking and saying things like, oh, everybody knows this and everybody knows that. That's not factual. What you just heard is mainstream media doing what mainstream media always does. They take the position of authority on every matter they bring up. They're the ones, the arbiters of truth or untruth about everything. And, of course, their perspective cannot be challenged because, I mean, after all, you heard what Eric Holder said, I will be shocked if Donald Trump isn't indicted. And here's another thing. People talk about indictments being the absolute proof that somebody did something wrong. Indictments don't mean that. Indictments mean that the legal authority has cause sufficient to at least investigate the person being indicted for wrongdoing. You're not guilty because you're indicted. It means there's going to be an investigation of matters including in that indictment. And to be quite honest with you, I hurriedly tried to find the percentage of indictments that happen around the nation that nothing comes from them, and I couldn't find the numbers, but it's much more than half of the time when indictments are issued, whoever the person is that's indicted is not taken to trial. When an investigation goes on, they find insufficient cause, and the case is dropped. But you just heard them talking about, including Eric Holder, oh, you know, what does it mean when the DOJ, when they're doing this, when Trump's people are in talking to DOJ? Well, it means they're getting information because they know stuff is coming down the pipe that is going to be bad for the former president, and therefore he must be going to be indicted. That is not the truth. There may be an indictment. I'm not saying that there won't be. But what I am saying is that even if he's indicted, that is not anything but the beginning of something to be brought against him. And let me just point out this one thing and we'll move on. Don't you think that these same people, if they had any kind of even close to conclusive information, about an indictment impending or even anything that's out there specific that they're considering, don't you think it would be splattered across every news bulletin board, every big sign out on the highway, every media news network show would be all over it. That would be the top line every day. What they're trying to do is paint a picture of something that doesn't exist. And, of course, facts never matter to the left. They're going to do what they're going to do. What's that song say? Haters going to (laughs) hate. Taylor Swift. It's a very truthful thing. Somebody that's going to hate you is going to hate you, and they're going to act like haters. That's what we see coming from the left. Since the president's speech last week, you know, the Nazi or the communist background speech that he made. Could you believe the set that they put together for Biden to make that? It was so reminiscent of what you used to see when the Russians were doing public appearances. I mean, you had this dark red 
dimly lit stage. There was an American flag in the back. I, I get that. But there were two soldiers, Marines, that were standing behind the president from the beginning to the end. What purpose could that possibly be to serve other than as the president, Joe Biden, was blasting all conservatives, every conservative, every conservative. He tried to make it later on, and it's been funny to to listen to him. He just says it again and again. I didn't say that. That's not what I meant. That just proves more and more that he's doing nothing but reading a speech prepared by somebody else that's up on the teleprompter. And of course, it just goes through his head. He's reading. He's not swallowing the information and understanding what he's seeing. And later he said, oh, I didn't say that. I didn't mean that, which he did say that. He did say it. Why wouldn't he mean it if he said it? And he did say all these things. He got some pushback from some conservatives. Here's here's just a few. I get to work. I go to work. I work hard. I go to the gym. I hunt. I fish. I spend time with friends and family. I pay my taxes. Don't break the law. I play disc golf. I'm a threat to the very soul of the nation. That was from one Twitter user. Here's another. I'm a registered nurse nearing retirement. Another explained, I like taking walks and reading mystery novels. I adopted a baby, and she's now an engineering student with a scholarship. I pay my taxes. I don't break the law. I am a threat to the very soul of this nation. And even another one, I work hard. I garden, cook, bake, spin, knit, weave, and I throw pots. I've been married 33 years. I have two grown kids. I've owned businesses, and I pay taxes. I'm a threat to the very soul of the nation. Still another, I'm paying for both of my kids' college. I'm a threat to the very soul of this nation. I'm retired L.E. I own my home. I believe in God. I believe life begins at conception. I enjoy the outdoors, going to the gym, riding my bicycle. I also teach people to use firearms safely and responsibly. I am a very, I am a threat to the very soul of the nation. And the final one, I'm a mom. I take care of my sick mom, sick mom who can't live on her own. I love my dogs and I cook real food for them twice a day, every day. I just bought my first house and I love to decorate and bake goodies for my neighbors. I am a threat to the soul of this nation. And Biden's walked that back two or three times. But listen, here's what all of this is doing. It's galvanizing us all. It's giving us a layer of facts and truths from the other side. They're revealing who they really are. Now think about that. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's from the Bible. What's in your heart is what you speak. And sometimes you try to hide it. Sometimes you're pretty effective, at least for a period of time. But at some point, It always comes out. What's in your heart, you're going to speak it. And so all of this nastiness coming from the left, all of this totalitarian stuff coming from the left, it's out there. Joe Biden, what he spoke in that speech, what he read off that teleprompter, somebody in power in the Democrat Party wrote that. And they would not 
have put that on that teleprompter unless they wanted Joe Biden to give that message, to blast and, I mean, just diminish the viability of every conservative. 74,216,000 Republicans are reported to have voted for Trump in 2020. Think about how many other people out there, the ones that did not vote for a multitude of reasons, many of them aren't even of age yet to vote, that are conservatives, all were diminished, just totally turned into trash, just road dirt by the President of the United States just because of a political thought. That's totalitarianism. That's a definition of totalitarianism. You're not allowed to think any way the government doesn't say it's okay for you to think. Democracy, they're trying to kick it out the door, burn it, burn it in the, the fireplace. So let me ask you a question about the House Speaker. She's been around, I don't know how long she's been in Congress, long time. All these two-year terms, she serves them one after another. She's been there for at least 30 years, if not longer. And she's been House Speaker a couple of times. This, I think, is her second, maybe third. So if the Democrats lose in the midterms, what do do you think she's going to do? Think she's going to want to run for re-election and then come back and be in the minority? Can you imagine how she'll be treated by Democrats if that were to happen? Well, let me tell you what she's what she's going to do. She's planning. She's planning to get Biden to nominate her to become the next U.S. ambassador to Italy if the Republicans take the House majority in the midterms. Biden is holding that spot for the Speaker, sources say, which is one reason he has yet to fill the position since taking office. Speculation earlier this year that a Pelosi ally and former Wall Street executive wanted the job has shifted with the increasing likelihood that the GOP takes the majority. There was no clarity yet on how a new Senate will react to a Pelosi nomination because anybody that's nominated for an ambassadorship has got to be confirmed by the Senate. But there was a mixed reaction to her in the role from sources this week. So far, 101 Biden ambassador nominees have been confirmed by the Senate. But Biden has been slow to name ambassadors to several countries, one of those Italy. About a quarter of the 194 ambassador positions are currently without a Senate-confirmed official. Presidents typically reserve ambassador posts in the most desirable locations for the people who have helped propel them to the White House, such as political operatives and donors. I honestly think Nancy would fit that role pretty well when it comes to Democrats running for office. So what does this ambassador's position look like in Italy? Well, the residence, Villa Taverna, Taverna, it boasts a pool, private gardens, a three-story wine cellar, and it's in Rome. (laughs) If you've been to Italy, you know how Italy is. It's a really cool place, and I have not been to Rome. I I chose not to go to Rome when I was over there. I did go 
into northern Italy to Milan, and I love northern Italy, Italy, and I love Iran. It's uh, 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 Milan. It's it's different, I'm told, from the central part and, of course, the southern part of Italy. But uh, it's a fashion. There's a, there's a huge segment of the fashion industry there. The arts are amazing, and they have street cafes and restaurants everywhere. All of the streets in Milan, almost all, are not really streets. They're places for outdoor cafes and restaurants. I, I sat outside when I was there a couple of times having meals, and it's really cool to be outside. The weather was great and to have all these people around you and just to look around and watch the people in a foreign country. It's really a cool thing. Don't forget, in just a few minutes, Steve Baker is going to join us for our segment today. I am looking here to see if we've got time for another. And, and I I think I think we have time. Um, and it's about Joe Biden and his declaration in his speech the other night that MAGA people are a threat to democracy. Kaylee McEnany yesterday, she got into that. President Biden just went from bashing nearly half of America to trying to (laughs) gaslight the nation. We all saw it on Thursday evening. And it involves some of the most explosive comments he made during that speech where he vilified MAGA Republicans and Trump supporters. But listen to what he is saying now when a reporter pressed him about it. Mr. President, do you consider all Trump supporters to be a threat to the country? No, everyone, come on. Come on, look, guys. You keep trying to make that case. I don't consider any Trump supporter to be a threat to the country. Really? That's curious because he said the exact opposite of that on Thursday night. Watch. There's no question that the Republican Party today is dominated, driven, and intimidated by Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans. And that is a threat to this country. MAGA Republicans look at America and see carnage and darkness and despair. They spread fear and lies. That's why respected conservatives like Federal Circuit Court Judge Michael Ludwig has called Trump and the extreme MAGA Republicans, quote, a clear and present danger to our democracy. Tammy, I'm getting really dizzy because on Saturday, he then doubled down on the initial Thursday comments after the backtrack. So he tweets Saturday, the MAGA ideology looks at America and sees carnage and darkness and despair. Uh, That's it in part. And then Sunday, the MAGA agenda represents an extremism that threatens the very foundation of our republic. It doesn't respect our constitution. So it's just like the swinging pendulum of like, what what are you saying, President? It's like they don't know what they're doing, just like with Afghanistan and just like with the economy and just like with the supply chain crisis and just like with the vice president who knows what's going on at the border. It it is almost a reactionary framework every day, almost every hour. I would think his initial backtrack was because they were shocked at the reaction immediately. Someone was like, somebody who was not in a coma or somebody who's not, you know, at AOC's feet said, wait a minute, we can't say that. That's not true because let's remember, they don't define MAGA Republican, but let's remember what that is. Make America great again. And we saw what that was for four years. It made America great again. Best economy in the history of the world, right? Uh, 
the Middle East peace process having success after a quarter of a century. Uh, Americans, the wage gap was, was decreasing. We know what that means. And for Americans reacting, it was like, wait a minute, I'm a tax-paying regular person who minds my own business and I love my country and I'm trying to do good with my family and now I'm like a threat to the republic? So this is what resonated and Americans were, all Americans were shocked. And even, you know, I think the CNN like made the red light pink. Yes. Uh, and that, what that tells you is, one, they want to mislead people, but two, they also knew that it was bad. Yeah. Because why else would you want to change it? Right. So it's, it's it back and forth, chaos, no real plan. I think they saw polls, they saw the reaction, and they're bouncing around clearly no way to run a country. Right. CNN taking the, the red, almost satanic looking background and making it like a lovely hardish pink. <laughs> Tammy's jacket. Uh, it was like my jacket. They, it yes. was like, let's make it look like Tammy's jacket. I mean, they it's say it was true. a technical <laughs> difficulty. Okay, right. Not sure how that happens. Um, James, interesting reporting from Politico. They said this was months in the making. Biden has been wanting to do this since June. And John Meacham, the historian, apparently had a hand in writing this. And Jonathan Turley uh, did some digging and reminded us that this is what John Meacham, this is the guy who wrote the Biden speech. This is what he said uh, in 2020. Listen. There is a lizard brain in this country. Donald Trump is a product of the white man's, the anguished, nervous white guy's lizard brain. I think Trump did himself good with his base tonight. The question for America is how big that base is. Lizard brains. That may explain the speech. <laughs> yeah, uh, the speech was a disgrace. If the president is confused by what he said, uh, I think he's not alone. Uh, presenting himself as the, the champion of limited constitutional governance, uh, does this mean he's now going to stop uh, trying to transfer $500 billion to a trillion dollars of of debt to taxpayers without any authorization from Congress? Th this would be good news if he meant it, but I, I think... Uh, uh, he seems within days to not understand what he even said. Yeah. He doesn't understand things that he says. In fact, sometimes, sometimes when, um, when the president is speaking, he doesn't have a clue where he is or who he's speaking to, yet alone the content of what he has to say. Well, we'll get into more of that later in the show today. But joining us now, it's Tuesday Second hour of our show, it's the DS report, and DS, not BS, DS stands for Dan and Steve. Steve Baker's on the phone with us. Good morning, sir. Hey, good morning, Dan. Good to be with you again today. What zip code are you in? <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm actually in my uh, home base bunker right now. North Carolina. Yeah. For the first time in a month, I'm, I'm sitting here, and I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here because... There's so many things I'm working on uh, in the, uh, well, irons in the fire, as they say, that I may not be here very long. And, of course, anything in his investigations as he finds these things out and gets confirmed details, he will be sharing those with us here on our segment every Tuesday at the second hour of the show. We, we spoke last night, and uh, I sent you Kelly Nelson's article that went live at 1.45 a.m. this morning on yeah. truthnewsnet.org. And I wanted to talk about it and get your ideas. And let me make it clear. Um, Steve is not an all-in for Donald Trump. 
He's got issues, as many Americans, even many Americans that pulled the lever for Trump, and I'm one of those, we have issues with the man. And we chose to vote for him. Firstly, he was the best choice we had if we wanted to have a free country and we wanted to have some liberty to understand and achieve the things that we wanted to as a nation. But still, there's a whole lot of people out there that have issues and have concerns. And Kelly Nelson is one of those. Now, everybody listening knows that she is a great conservative writer, well thought of. And she, in this article today, she had a lot to say. She was very careful up front to list all the good things, good reasons that she has if Trump gets nominated to run in 2024 uh, to vote for him again. And she makes that case. Steve, I haven't talked to you after you read the article. What what are your thoughts on what she had to well, say? Well, my, my, yeah, my first overriding impression was the different paths that Kelly and I have had with regards to Trump. Uh, she began 100% all in. And I began 100% hashtag never Trump. Yeah. Uh, I did not vote for him in 2016. In fact, 2016 was the first time I ever in my life casted a vote for a third party candidate. I have, uh, I have been registered as a Democrat, registered as a Republican, registered as a libertarian voter, uh, at various times in my lifetime. You know, if you, if you remember back when we were young growing up in Louisiana, if you didn't, if you weren't registered as a Democrat, you never got to vote for who ultimately would, con, you know, control the state. <laughs> so, yeah, because primaries. If 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 you were if you weren't a registered Democrat, you couldn't vote in a primary. That's correct. Uh, if you weren't so a registered we, Republican, you couldn't vote in that primary either. Yeah, so you you were compelled just by the the reality of the math in our state back then to register as a Democrat, yeah. whether you were a conservative or not. Yeah, and. And that changed very quickly after the Reagan revolution. And so then we were able to register as a Republican. And then I became disillusioned with the GOP uh, towards the late nineties. I felt like that they had um, abandoned Gingrich's uh, contract with America, Uh, not just abandoned it, but in many ways had worked against it. So I, I, I eventually found my, more libertarian, uh, uh, I guess, roots or, or philosophical roots, and and then ultimately registered as a libertarian for the next two decades. And but I never, but I never voted for a libertarian in a general election or or a national election of any kind. The only time I ever voted for a libertarian candidate was in local elections. And for the first time in 2016, I was so disenchanted with both the the the. Um, options of Hillary or Trump that I voted for Gary Johnson. And it was, and that was the first time I ever genuinely cast a protest vote. So there's my groundwork. Okay. Okay. (laughs) But that, that was the initial impression I had from Kelly's article was how our paths have crossed in this journey. Her being all in, in 2016, me being all out, and then last night, Dan, and I think I told you this in our conversation, either this morning or last night, I said, I did a, um, a private supporter exclusive live stream with my um, pragmatic constitutionalist supporters last night. And I made the statement that the forces 
that we're seeing come to bear against Trump right now have not turned me into a Trump supporter, but they've turned me into a Trump defender. Explain, and, explain to the audience the difference. I, I did ultimately vote for the guy in 2020. By the time we reached there, I had been able to look at his administration and I judged his administration essentially 50-50, good Trump, bad Trump. And that was infinitely better than what I knew was coming on the Biden side. Right. And, and, I, and I correctly had assessed my previous vote for Gary Johnson as a throwaway protest vote, and I was not prepared to do that this time. So in 2020, I did pull the lever for Donald Trump. And, and we don't need to get into the election controversy right now, but we, we, know, we all know what happened. But what I have found myself in beginning at the, really at the very beginning of the Trump administration is when the day he was elected and the opposition party began calling for his impeachment before he ever did a single thing as the executive in charge of our government. I went, wait a minute, this is, this is, they're not even giving the guy the honeymoon period, you know, that, you know, that, uh, that mythical 90 day, honeymoon, hundred day uh, honeymoon period that all presidents are supposed to get. I mean, he didn't, he didn't get a hundred minute honeymoon period from the opposition party. They were literally calling for his impeachment the day after he was elected before he was inaugurated. So I knew that there were unusual forces arrayed against him at that time. And I then I began to evaluate his presidency on an issue by issue, statement by statement, policy by policy basis. No more complicated than that. But what I also had to keep track of was what the other side was doing to him along the way. And we, we don't need to review all of that. And, and, and I know that Kelly reviews some of that here in, in this article, but obviously we had the Russia collusion hoax and we had every, everything else, every other possible thing that they could throw against him, two impeachments, um, uh, the, the election controversy, the January 6th, all of this thing combined together have created a situation where as I look at his presidency, and I do still evaluate it about 50-50, and one thing that Kelly did as she concluded this article, and I am in total agreement with her, is I probably would have given Trump a 70-30 rating had it not been for his handling of the COVID crisis. And he did, in fact, give in to the people that he had surrounded himself with through lack of discernment, as she puts it, that led him down a path that ultimately, and I, and she, she explains it perfectly when she talks about transferring the wealth from main street mom and pop stores to the big pop, the big box stores. And that's probably the most egregious thing that happened. We saw the, literally the largest transference of wealth in the history of this country just by bad policy related to this uh, pandemic. Let me weigh in for a second on, on what you just said. I, uh, I agree that on Trump's watch, those very things happened. But I explained to Kelly in a telephone conversation that we had uh, yesterday 
I explained to her, here was the conundrum, and I know this for a fact because I've talked with people um, in his inner circle. He, You have so many. It's no different for any other president. You have so many positions, key positions that have to be filled and filled quickly mm-hmm. that you can't do it yourself. There is no way any one person can know in detail, in depth, the characteristics, the traits, the political background, all those kind of things on several thousand people that are supposed to be and eventually will be in a president's inner circle. So what does that mean? You've got to rely on other people. And then you get into it again. Donald Trump had never served in any political position. He didn't have any history, political history, with anybody other than that everybody came by his office begging for a campaign contribution for decades. And he wrote lots of checks to people on both sides of the aisle. So there is no question that he could have, if he had known things, he could have put more people in that inner circle that were more Trump thinkers than he had. He got some bad apples. When those bad apples were identified and he had alternatives, he made the changes. That's what a good businessman does. You you and I are absolutely in the same page in that regard because I've written about this very issue, very topic, that here is a guy with no executive experience in government. Certainly he had executive experience in business. Right. But the failure in in government is that he – doesn't know the processes, how things work in that regard. And he had to rely upon people that we, we call them deep staters. Uh, we call them life, you know, lifetime bureaucrats, but these are the people that know the machination of government, good or bad and how it works from a functional standpoint. And he did in fact have to rely upon some of that, um, history from his own party. And so he had to rely upon Bush appointees and such as that in order to just maintain the function of all the, com- the massive complexity of the executive branch. And while, so he was, while he was doing that, he was having to run a country at the same time. And then he got thrust right into the middle of the COVID-19 horror show. And yeah. we're going to be 10, 15, 20 years from now, I'll predict we're going to be finding out more and more things, surreptitious things that happen at the hands of just like you mentioned, those bureaucrats, those uh, yeah. never go away bureaucrats that hang around every administration that comes along and they have so much power. I'm going to publish a story tomorrow. It's not a story in direct response to Kelly's uh, story that she put together today but it's about a doctor from Canada that was brought into the inner circle of the COVID-19 responses by this administration. And he came forward with specific information about what was going on in the inside and what he heard. This is a blockbuster revelation, and this is a guy that has two masters one from Oxford. He's a medical Mm. expert, no question about it. And he was told by a group of these bureaucrats when they were getting rid of him because he stood up and told the truth 
and he actually confronted Dr. Anthony Fauci. This is what they told him, and this is a quote. Donald Trump does not run the government. We do. Mm. He was told that twice in two different conversations by inside very powerful bureaucrats. In and, our and last... You know, Dan, <laughs> the, the <laughs> truth of the matter is we could say that about almost any recent administration. <laughs> That's true. Because of the depth of the, the, the roots that have taken from this, this thing, we can call it the swamp, we can call it the deep state, um, we, we can even go to the conspiracy of all the way up to the, 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 the Rothschilds and the secret societies and the World Economic Forum and, you know, all, just n- name your, name your uh, globalist uh, world conspiracy. Pick your poison. Yes, exactly. But the reality is, is sometimes it's just more it's it's a lot less complicated than just looking at our own system as it is designed. And, um, you know, the, the, the constitution is the best, uh, government, uh, document that's ever been drafted in the history of the world. That's not arguable. Every major historian agrees with that, but it is not without its own faults. Absolutely. And some of those faults have been realized in the fact that over time, over 200 years now, we've been able to see the holes that were presented. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but one of the things that Benjamin Franklin himself predicted was this time that we're living in right now. And, and this was this was as prescient as anything uh, that any of our founders have ever said uh, or ever revealed at all. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the exact quote right now. I know that I have it. But the, the point being is, is you remember when, when Franklin was asked the question as he walked out of the final day of the congressional uh, convention and a lady famously asked him, what kind of government have you given us? And his answer was a republic if you can keep it. I remember that. I was there. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But this is this is a speech that he gave. Yeah. September seventeenth, seventeen eighty seven. And this is this is the most important paragraph from the speech. I'm gonna read this for you and, and your, your audience here. This is quoting Benjamin Franklin. He said, in these sentiments, sir, I agree to this constitution with all its faults, if they are such, because I think a general government necessary for us, and there is no form of government, but what may be a blessing to the people if well administered. And I believe farther that this is likely to be well administered for a course of years. And, and this is the punchline, can only end in despotism as other forms have done before it. When the people should become so corrupted as to need despotic government being incapable of any other. He said that in September 17, 1787, as he looked at that. And now this speech is much longer. And I've actually posted this speech just a couple of days ago on all of my social media accounts. I I published the entire context of the speech. He came out of the Constitutional Convention with 
real problems about the holes that were left. And this was the oldest man in the room, you know, the wife, ostensibly the oldest and the wisest man in the room. Everybody else around him were in their 20s and 30s. You know, we, we think of the, you know, we think about the ages of our governors and our, the people that rule over us today. Well, the guys that founded this country had an average age of about 25 to 30. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And the brilliance that they had at that age is another story in and of itself. But, but Franklin was the old man. And he was in his late 70s at this point. And he saw those holes, but he saw the goodness of the document, and it was good enough to say, okay, I'll, I'll put my name to it as well. But he walked out of there, and he gave a speech that is now resonating today, saying it's going to eventually yield to despotism. And that is because, watch what Biden did in his speech the other night. Sure, He said the word democracy and everybody's focused on him, you know, painting the GOP as extremist and dangerous to the democracy. But the key of what took place in that speech was he said the word democracy 31 times, and he only said the word republic twice. Right. Both times he said the word republic, he was aiming that word, or whoever his speechwriter was, we should say, because he, he didn't write that speech. No. <laughs> and which goes right back to what you were saying a while ago is that when they said Trump doesn't run the government, we do. Well, somebody else runs the government right now. It is not Biden. Sure. And so when he said the word republic, he aimed that word twice as that accusation at extreme. But he said the soul of our republic. And he said, you know, the, uh, the, the other one was not the foundation, but the, um, the very, you know, basically the very foundation of our republic. And that was in accusation or in the painting of Trump supporters as extremists that are dangers then to the democracy. But he, that, that, that speech writer knew exactly when to drop the word Republic twice. Yeah. But the rest of the time he said, democracy, democracy, democracy over and over and over again, the very thing that our founders feared the most. Absolutely. So the mob rule, let's go, let's go circle back and uh, we've got to bring this thing to a close the substance of Kelly's article. Um, give us your thoughts. Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, I, I tell you what, Dan, I've already shared this. I I was impressed with the article. I've already shared it on all of my social media. I've already shared it with a couple of uh, friends that have their own networks that they've already passed it around. Uh, I'm already getting responses from it myself uh, from my having shared it, and I will tell you that. Uh, uh, very, very solid on her building towards her final point. And as I said before, it was very interesting as I read through this, how our paths crossed as her being all in and me not being all in. Y'all kind of reversed. Re- Y'all kind of yeah, reversed. Re- but we've gotten to the same place. Yeah. I think yeah. if, I, if, I'm drawing, if I'm drawing her conclusion accurately, I'm not seeing that in 2024, if Trump runs again, that she's not voting for him because she's disappointed in his handling of COVID-19. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't get that at all. And, and you probably won't get that from me either. Do I still hope for a, another white hat champion to ride for, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and, and be maybe a better version of Trump, be that DeSantis or somebody else. Maybe I hope for that. Yeah. But if it is Trump, I'm probably all in this time. Same here. Hey, buddy. 
I get a lot of comments about our first one of these a week ago. Thank you for joining us for this. And we're, if you're just new to this, we're doing this every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central Time. We're calling it DS Report, which is Dan and Steve. And we're picking the really big things that are front and center right now today that maybe you need a different perspective of. And Steve and I, just to be honest with you, on some things we don't think alike. We're, uh, we're together and we're friends and we're professionals at what we do. So we find ways to work through any of the disagreements to find commonality. You know how they used to do in politics. <laughs> you agree to disagree sometimes, but you just move on instead of shooting the person you're talking to that you disagree with. And that happened a couple of times in the past. But anyway, Steve, tell our folks, how do they reach you to get your materials? The best place right now, Dan, is on our uh, locals, our locals community, and that is, it's kind of long, thepragmaticconstitutionalist.locals.com. Obviously, we're on a whole bunch of other um, sites, our, sure. our social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, MeWe, Parler, Gab, True Social, but the home of all of my content comes from the pragmatic constitutionalist.locals.com never throttled there. There's no ads, nobody's selling your content there. So it's a better place to be safer for our, our, our readers and uh, as well as for myself. And that is uh, where all of our content originates. And anytime you miss this segment and then you want to find it, don't forget you can find us on uh, iHeartRadio, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google podcast, any place you go to get your podcast, TNN Live is there. They go to those outlets just minutes after the show goes off the air at 11 a.m. Steve, as always, you're a friend, you're a brother, but you are a professional, a consummate, and you're one of my heroes. Thank you for joining oh, us. I meant that. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate that. All right, buddy. Thank you much. Stay in touch. Will do. Steve Baker from North Carolina. You remember he was the... Um, video journalist that was all over the January 6th insurrection, whatever you want to call that thing, and his videos from that day were picked up by news organizations around the world, and uh, in fact, those videos going around the world got him in the line of fire with the Department of Justice, and uh, he's still waiting for the promised uh, visit (laughs) by FBI agents. They want to talk to him. Steve Baker. Not just political, not just lifestyle, but always relevant. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. Welcome to Burger King. Can I take your order, please? I'm here for the most wanted. Sorry, sir. Can you repeat that? The gang known as the Western Whopper. Ah, you mean our new Texas barbecue beef bacon and sweet Carolina Whoppers, right? Yes, I need them now. Try the new Texas barbecue beef bacon or our tasty honey mustard sauce on our sweet Carolina Whoppers at your nearest BK today. Burger King, have it your way. How hard is it to unlock your car? Not hard. How hard is it to shut your car door? Not hard. How hard is it to start your car? Not hard. How hard is it to put your seatbelt on? People are still dying in car accidents because they were not wearing a seatbelt, which is stupid because it's not that hard. Smarten up, buckle up. Think road safety. A message from the Government of South Australia. 
those of you listening here, like Steve said, please, please read the article today published at the top of the first homepage of truthnewsnet.org, truthnewsnet.org. And also remember tomorrow's story is going to be from that doctor that I told you about, the Canadian doctor, that was a big part in the beginning of the pandemic stuff, a big part of the medical team, the COVID-19 response team for the president, Donald Trump. And he was summarily attacked because he made a comment that went anti to a Dr. Anthony Fauci um, policy or something that Fauci said out there. And he was then kicked to the curb in a very, very ugly way. We're going to have that for you tomorrow morning. Well, what else is going on? While we were away, uh, (laughs) life goes on in Washington, D.C. White House folks, some Democrat lawmakers, have attempted recently to reframe their position on school reopening policies in the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, you remember this from the very beginning. Fauci said this, and I give him credit for it. He said, quote, I have no authority to order any lockdowns of any companies, any stores, any businesses, or any schools. We, being the National Institutes of Health, the CDC, we give our recommendations to those who have that authority, and they determine that. And I want to make another point as we're talking here. Donald Trump as president, he also made it very clear that he did not have that authority to open anything or to shut anything down. And it's up to the authorities and the locals and the states. Democrats have argued that they always supported students going back to in-person instruction and that President Biden's massive almost $2 trillion reconciliation package in March of 2021 helped facilitate schools reopening nationwide. Even though Republican-led states like Florida succeeded in getting students back in the classrooms way before the Biden stimulus package. So on Thursday, the National Center for Education Statistics released a report showing that during the pandemic, American students' reading proficiency dropped to a two-decade low and mathematics scores falling for the first time ever. Let's step back to where we were not too long ago when this president walked into this administration, how mismanaged the pandemic, the response to the pandemic was, how 47% of schools were in less than six months. Our schools went from 46% to open to nearly all of them being open to full time. That statement came from White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre on Thursday. That was a work of this president, and that was the work of Democrats, in spite of Republicans not voting for the American Rescue Plan, which $130 billion went to schools to have the ventilation, to be able to have the tutoring and the teachers, and being able to hire more teachers. And that was because of the work that this administration did. Well, let's pull back the covers and see what the facts say. The American Rescue Plan, it had about $122 billion 
that went to the so-called Elementary and Secondary School Emergency Relief Fund. The fund was put together to fund local plans in all 50 states, in Washington, D.C., and Puerto Rico, to safely reopen schools and to go back to those pre-pandemic school operations through mitigation efforts such as improved building ventilation. Since March of 2021, the share of public schools offering full-time in-person classes across the country has gone up from 54 to 98 percent. This is according to the Department of Education. I am proud that when Democrats got control a year and a half ago, Democrats voted for the American Rescue Plan that helped our kids get back into school safely, making sure the schools had testing and supplies and ventilation and the ability to make sure their kids could be safe at school. That came from Senator Patty Murray, a Democrat from Washington, longtime Democrat in the House of Representatives, uh, excuse me, in the Senate. She said that in an interview with CNN on the weekend. Totally today, virtually every child is back in school, she said. That's what I've focused on, making sure that we're providing the resources to our schools so they could reopen safely. And that's what we have today. Well, the facts. How about the facts? You remember that number that I gave you, the money that went to those schools, $122 billion? As of yesterday, states and local districts have spent less than $15.6 billion or about only 12.7% of the funds awarded to them under that program. That's according to a digital analysis of Department of Education data. It's unclear how much of the spent money were actually given to COVID-19 mitigation efforts since the program required schools to also use the money for equity programs. Oh my gosh, the E-word, I hate it. In addition, schools in states that voted for Trump in 2020 reopened 75% of the time, while those that voted for Biden reopened 37% of the time during the 20 to 21 academic year. That's according to education nonprofit The 74. Democrats, they widely condemn Trump and Republican governors like DeSantis of Florida for aggressively pushing for schools reopening in the fall of 2020. Floridians deserve science-based action from Governor DeSantis, Biden said prior to the election in 2020. While other large states, they continue to take strong, urgent, and sweeping action to stop the spread of COVID-19, Florida has not. His goal should have been yesterday to get everybody back in school, but he can't do that because he doesn't want to upset the teachers' union. That's Ron DeSantis' response to Biden. It's a pathetic failure of leadership to not stand up for these kids and for these families. The Education Department data also showed some areas that had implemented the most school closures like Rhode Island, Nevada, New Mexico, Vermont, Wisconsin, and Washington, D.C. have spent less than 5% of those funds received but have still allowed most students to return to in-person instruction. States like Florida and Texas, you know those horrible 
horrible states that are run by Democrat governors that ignored the horrors of the pandemic and put their kids back in schools. (laughs) Schools were already reopened when Democrats passed that ARP fund, used more than 10% of the funds received. The federal government has mandated local districts spend the entirety of their money by September of 2024, but the Congressional Budget Office estimated in 2021 the money would not be completely spent until 2028. That's interesting, isn't it? Well, moving along. Zombie media cartel. We've talked about it here before. There's a new version of the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act. JCPA is what it's called. It's circulating, and we're being told that it is worse than the original. This new one allows mainstream legacy and left-wing media to put together these exclusionary media cartels and then empowers them with very, very extraordinary collective bargaining power to collude with big tech companies. The amendments serve only to spell out in greater specificity how to exclude conservative and anti-establishment media from any alleged benefits. Let me just cut to the chase and tell you what this is about. Big tech and big government. Big tech and big government getting together and taking complete control of the media, everything to do with journalism, broadcast, print, anything you can imagine. They're trying with all of their power to put it all together, and the outcome would be the exclusion almost totally from the marketplace of ideas and giving ideas to the marketplace and to the people, any conservative thought or conversation. And this is a bill that's being considered by the United States Congress. If that doesn't scare you to death, I don't think anything will. Wow. There's so much going on, folks. There's no way even in two hours every day that we can cover everything we have to do. There's some bad news out there about Black Lives Matter I personally, from the very beginning of this, when I found out how much money they were getting behind the scenes, almost blackmailing businesses and corporations into supporting them to the tune of $200 million in 2020 and 2021 alone, a huge chunk of that coming from George Soros. What's that scripture say? The love of money is the root of all evil. Well, the evil took residence and Black Lives Matter. That's up next. The new Amazon Echo has everyone asking Alexa for help. Alexa, what time is it? What the hell is wrong with this blasted thing? Amanda! But the latest technology isn't always easy to use for people of a certain age. These kids done bought me a busted machine again. Oh, yes, sir. 
That's why Amazon partnered with AARP to present the new Amazon Echo Silver, the only smart speaker device designed specifically to be used by the greatest generation. It's super loud and responds to any name even remotely close to Alexa, so they can find out the weather. Allegra, what is the weather outside? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Huh? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Where? Outside. What about it? The temperature outside is 74 degrees and sunny. I don't know about that. The latest in sports. Clarissa, how many did old Satchel strike out last night? Satchel Paige died in 1982. How many did he get? Satchel Paige is dead. He what now? Died. Who did? Satchel Paige. Oh. I don't know about that. Even local news and pop culture. Anita, what them boys up to across the street? They are just playing. They what now? They are just playing. You say they just playing now? Yes, they are just playing. I don't know about that. Compare <laughs> it to smart devices like your thermostat. Alessandra, turn the heat up. The room is already 100 degrees. Are you trying to kill me, Alize? The new Amazon Echo Silver plays all the music they loved when they were young. Angela, play black jazz. Playing, uh, jazz. It also has a quick scan feature to help them find things. Emilia, where did I put the phone? The phone is in your right hand. And it has an uh-huh feature for long rambling stories. So then I gave him five dollars, and he said I only gave him one dollar. Uh-huh. I said, I know I gave you a five. Uh-huh. Because I only had a five and a one only. Uh-huh. And this is the one dollar right here. Uh-huh. So, I mean, you tell me who's crazy. Amazon Echo Silver. Get yours today. I said get yours today. To order Amazon Echo Silver, send a check or money order to Amazon.com right now. Amazon Echo ad. That is one of the most hilarious advertisements I've ever heard. I, and I get requests all the time, and I forward it to people that uh, they want to get it. Anytime you want to get something like that, feel free. Drop me a line, dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org, and we'll get it, it to you told you going into the break about Black Lives Matter and a bunch of their, uh, much of blackmail money, but money given from a lot of individuals and corporations. Well, the Global Network Foundation of Black Lives Matter, executive Shaloma Bowers, has been accused of siphoning off more than $10 million from the donors' money. The grassroots wing of the far-left activist organization BLM Grassroots alleged last week Bauer siphoned the money to pay his consulting firm after he joined the board of the foundation. Bowers is accused of paying the cash to his own Bowers Consulting Firm and diverting resources from a new group called Black Lives Matter Grassroots Incorporated. That's according to New York Post. BLM Grassroots was launched three months ago. It claims to represent BLM chapters across the country. This is all just getting really hard to follow. And that's typically what happens 
when somebody's trying to find a way to hide the facts. Attorney Walter Mosley, who founded this grassroots group, said in the lawsuit filed that Bowers could not let go of his personal piggy bank. Instead, he continued to betray the public trust by self-dealing, breaching his fiduciary duties, Instead of using the donations for its intended purposes, Mr. Bowers diverted these donations to his own coffers and intentionally took calculated steps to prevent those same resources from being used by Black Lives Matter on the ground movement work, the lawsuit claims. I gotta be honest with you. On the ground movement work. Have you heard? Have you seen anything substantive that would justify Black Lives Matter getting $200 million in donations as a not-for-profit? Have you seen any of that happen? I mean, just think what they could have done if they really represent what black people, people of color, really need. Can you imagine what they could have done with $200 million dollars? Do you know how many college scholarships they could have endowed with that? How many African-American people could have been given a leg up, a chance, open a door that they hadn't been able to even get to, to knock on previously? Instead, it's being siphoned off. Now, Bowers dismissed the lawsuit as little more than a, a power move by someone hell-bent on achieving power and control of the Black Lives Matter movement, adding that activists headed by California State University Pan-African Studies professor Molina Abdullah have been working to steal power away from the BLM Foundation Board of Directors. It's the most insane thing I've read in a court pleading, and it's signed under penalty of perjury when they know it's a lie. Bowers said that to the the, uh, New York Post while again proclaiming he's innocent. He noted the foundation recently went through audits that disproved the allegations brought against him. We're in the process of correcting things, of fixing things, and dealing with disgruntled people who want to take over the group, he said. He's just the latest high-ranking member of Black Lives Matter to be accused of misappropriating funds. You remember We brought this news to you back in May. Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Cullors admitted that using the group's $6 million property to host private parties after she had previously resigned from the organization because in scrutiny uh, there were questionable spending of charitable funds on her part. One of those events took place in January of 2021 where she apparently sought refuge at the property amid threats on her life. However, at that time, she chose to host an inauguration party celebrating the elections of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, along with roughly 15 people, including BLM Los Angeles chapter members and other prominent movement supporters. Two months later, Colors threw her son a birthday party at that property, but she told the outlet she intended to pay a rental fee to the foundation. Now, what about the tax stuff? That's a question I ask. 
tax documents filed with the IRS also showed that Cullors would spend lavish funds for her brother and child's father to perform various services. The tax documents, as seen by numerous media outlets, revealed BLM paid a company owned by Damon Turner, the follower of Cullors' uh, child, nearly $970,000. Just $30,000 away from a million. Why? To help produce live events and provide other creative services. It's just, it's just almost impossible for Americans, I don't care who you are, way up high or way down low in classifications of any kind you can come up with. When that person is in a position to directly impact lavish amounts of money, often, just like this, the thought of money, the love of money, the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money takes over. And that's why the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Wow. Moving on, our friends at Sky News, pretty much once a week we bring you one of their um, audio bites where they're analyzing our government and the players in our government. When Donald Trump was president, Sky News, they took shots at him. And since Biden is elected, they're taking shots at Biden. And so Sky News yesterday decided to put together a potpourri of a few thoughts about this president. There's been a lot of focus in recent days on that demented hate speech Joe Biden delivered in Philadelphia. But it's important not to overlook that Biden's week wasn't just about maliciously painting half the country as dangerous extremists. We also had befuddled Biden delivering his gibberish. Go down on the east side, the what called the bucket, highest crime rate in the country. There's a place where I used to, I was the only white guy that worked as a lifeguard down in that area, on the east side. And you know where the, you can always tell where the best basketball in the state is and the best basketball in the city is. It's where everybody shows up. I have no idea either what he's talking about. I'm just grateful that he didn't launch into another story about his hairy legs and corn pop. Remember that? Got hairy legs that turn that 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 that, that turn uh, um, blonde in the sun, and the kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down, so it was trained, and then watch the hair come back up again. They look at it. So I learned about roaches. <laughs> enough, enough. Can you believe he said all that? And they still made him president. But Joe wasn't just reminiscing this week. He was again demonstrating that he knows precisely what's happening in the midterms. Here he is in the crucial swing state of Pennsylvania. Please elect the Attorney General of the Senate. Um, Joe, the Attorney General is not running for the Senate. He's running to be <laughs> governor. But I'm sure that was just a slip of the tongue. Joe knows who's who, surely. Elect that big old boy to be governor. 
Oh, Joe, the big old boy, as you call him, is running for the Senate, <laughs> not to be governor. <laughs> Talking about the big old boy, the six foot eight John Fetterman, there are real questions about whether he is cognitively fit to be running for office. The avowed socialist had a stroke in May, the impact of which is hard to ignore. What is wrong with demanding for an easy, safe kind of their income, a path to a safe place for them to win, or excuse me, to, to work. And you can count on us to eliminate the filibuster. Who would ever think that I would be the normal, the normal one in the race here, yeah? With that. That is the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania who is running for the United States Senate seat against Dr. Oz. Now, let me just be fair. This guy recently had a stroke, and it's impacted him, and, and in no way can we make funny of what you just heard. He's struggling to get his thoughts out, and it's a direct result of having the stroke. But it brings up a question. How long is this going to last? And do the people of Pennsylvania want someone that has that issue, those issues? Is that person under the circumstances that he has no control over? Is he suited to work and be representative of those people of Pennsylvania in the United States Senate? I got to be honest with you. I just don't see that as being viable. That's my opinion. I don't live in Pennsylvania. Do you remember month uh, last month, maybe, maybe the month before, when we had Alabama funeral director Richard Hirschman on our show live? Well, the information and the segment from our show has made it, and it's circled around the United States, and more news agencies are getting involved with this story Epic Times is the latest, and uh, he appeared on one of their, their, I think it was one of their video shows, but he talked to them about those clots. If you didn't hear when he was here with us, let me tell you what he was here talking about. He found, he's an embalmer now, and he found clots in people's legs when he was embalming them. Clots in about 5 to 10% of the bodies that he embalmed. Now, since then, and he, when he talked to us, he said from the very beginning, the percentage of the people that he embalmed that had this disorder, it went up to now it's between 50 and 70%. According to results from a lab in Texas, clots that he sent to them, they lack a number of key health markers for human blood, including iron, potassium, zinc and magnesium. Now, what does this mean? Well, it suggests that the clots were not formed in blood, but further research is needed to identify the root cause and the origin of these clots in bodies. It wasn't until May or June of last year that I started to say something is really different about the blood, and then later in September, I took my first picture of one of those clots since I couldn't come out with just one piece of evidence because what if it's just a fluke? 
He said that to 1819 News and reiterated similar sentiments to the Epic Times. Now, I have been gathering evidence and I have pictures of over 100 cases and it's not stopping. It's not slowing down. Now, what are these clots? What do they look like? They're, they range in size and are long, worm-like and can stretch from a few inches to several feet long. Preliminary research shows that the clots are predominantly made of protein cells and that the production of the clots is brought about by spike proteins in the body. Now, where do those come from? Spike proteins. Where do those come from? And you know the answer to that. Pfizer and Moderna COVID-19 vaccinations. I'm going to leave it there. Hey, guys, you have a great, great Tuesday. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being a part of the DS segment. And we'll see you tomorrow morning, bright and early, 9 to 11 a.m. Central Time, right here at TNN Live. See you then. i